The communion meditation will be from Amos chapter 9 and verses 11 through 12. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who were called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. Amen. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray that I would faithfully deliver it, that we would be encouraged as we come to this table. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first phrase of this verse sets the context. It says, in that day. In what day? Well, Acts 15 quotes this and says it's in the day of the new covenant. It was established in Acts 2, the tabernacle of David, and it's been expanding from that time forward. God goes on to say, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And Acts 15 identifies that as being the church. The church is the fulfillment of this very unusual booth, is probably a more accurate translation of this uh, word here. And uh, it was a type of the church. Uh, it was a tabernacle, for example, that had both Jewish and Gentile priests in it. You could not have that in the temple or in the uh, original tabernacle. This was a much smaller booth. Uh, it was a booth in which Jew and Gentile worshipped side by side. It was a booth in which there was no separation between the Ark of the Covenant, which had temporarily been removed from the temple and put there, or from the tabernacle, and so people could go right before the very presence of God. In many different ways, there was a one-to-one -one correspondence between that booth of David and the, the um, a New Testament church. It was, uh, Ark was the only temple furniture was, that was there. That's the throne of God, right? So it had no sacrifices, temple rituals, no blood. Uh, there was instrumental music, there was congregational singing, there was close fellowship with God, there was preaching, all the things you would expect of the New Covenant Church, but it was just for a temporary period to stand as a type of the church. By the time of Christ, that booth had obviously long been gone, and Israel as a whole was apostate. So when God restores this unusual kind of booth, tabernacle, meeting place, things were so bad that it would take a miracle to restore it. So I want you to notice that this is not something that man came up with. The text says that God would raise it up. In fact, though believers are described as being very, very active and involved in the next verse, uh, they're active only because God is working in them. Every phrase in verse 11 is God working in us as uh, Philippians uh, 2, verses 12 through uh, 13 words that work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We can only work out what God has already worked in us by his grace. So as we come to the Lord's table this morning, we are receiving by faith the provisions of verse 11 so that we can go out of the sanctuary and we can take the actions of verse 12. So what are the provisions of verse 11? What is God committing to? Well, he commits to raise up the tabernacle of David that is broken down, and Acts 15 interprets that to mean all of these people, including Gentiles, that were being brought into the church. God 
raised them up. Well, this means you cannot take credit for being a Christian. God raised you up. He planted you sovereignly into the church. It wasn't because of anything good in you. It's God's work. He goes on to say that he will repair its damages. Is the church of today damaged? Yes, it is. Uh, it is a church that is filled with sin and bad theology and division and bad leaders and bad members. But we ought not to despair because our God is in the business of repairing uh, the breaches. And he does that not just in the church corporate. He can do it in every part of the church, in your life. He can repair what has been torn apart during this past year. And he can repair the braces and the tent pegs that were breaking. So no matter how badly your life is broken, believe the promise of the Lord's table that he can repair your life. He goes on to say, and raise up its ruins. So this is speaking of a great awakening, a revival, uh, something desperately needed in our own day. And again, these action verbs in verse 11 are God's actions, not ours. So when we come to the Lord's table, which is the sign of the covenant, we're saying we believe this covenant promise that God himself can do what we cannot do. A lot of people think it's just hopeless. We can't uh, have any uh, re reformation, any revival in the church today. That is not so. Um, he goes on to say, and rebuild it as in the days of old. And I find that last phrase interesting. God values the past even when the past is not perfect. Uh, it's so easy to be so focused on what the church is supposed to be like and will eventually be like in the future that we despise the past. And I would encourage you not to do that. There are many periods in the past, a whole lot better than our own age. And if we got restored to even one of those periods, say the time of the Puritans, it would be an amazing thing. Uh, we could learn from their mistakes, get rid of the defects uh, that was in the material that led to the tearing of the tent, so to speak, such as their educational method of their children. Um, we could um, uh, repair the stakes that broke too easily, fix those uh, tendencies towards statism, for example. But don't neglect the past or disparage the past simply because it's not where planet Earth is eventually going to be. Devour the Puritans and the preachers of old. Value them. Uh, they had their defects, yes. But I tell you, in times that are as bad as ours, even those defective times are times that are, that are wonderful. God is sufficient to restore, and he loves to restore the church to days of old. But here's the point that, that verse 12 goes on to. With God's provision of verse 11, that's restoring what has been lost, that's reconstruction, so to speak, we can then be in the place to take further advances that are symbolized by the warfare in verse 12. This is moving beyond verse 11. Though we value the past, we don't stay stuck in the past. We keep pressing toward the upward calling that we have in Christ Jesus. And so verse 12 says that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Now, Acts 15 applies that to the evangelistic efforts of the church. The tabernacle had already been restored in Acts 2, but they didn't stay in Acts 2, okay? They kept pressing on to improve. And so, in effect, the verse says that as a result of the church being revived and reconstructed to the glory days of the past, 
that rebuilt church can make even further advances in the Great Commission. And what is true, the church globally can be applied to our own church, our own families, our own individual lives. Uh, maybe you have <clears throat> blown it or backslidden and you long for the days that you used to have that it was so sweet with the Lord and you can pray for that revival. But once the Lord restores you to that revival, don't stay there. Use that revival and in the strength of that, keep pressing into more and more of God's calling in your life. Same is true of our church. God has been restoring prayer to our church and evangelistic zeal and increased discipleship of our children and greater um, involvement in stopping all abortion in Nebraska and faith-driven interactions with politicians. I mean, he's beginning to rebuild what used to be in this church. I mean, that's a, a rebuilding of the things that have been broken down. But don't stop there. Keep possessing your possessions. God's mission really is to possess the entire earth. And the Great Commission promises it can be achieved. Why? Because Jesus is powerfully with us even to the end of the age. And that's why verse 12 ends by going back to remind us that even our actions of possessing the nations are really God's gracious work through us. So if you look at the last phrase of verse 12, it says, says Yehovah who does this thing. Which thing? Well, that's the thing he's just mentioned, our possessing of the earth. So the way we possess the earth is by the Lord working that through us. God has a call upon your life, but it's imperative as you fulfill your calling that you do it in God's strength, not your own strength. And the realization without Christ, we can do nothing. We come here as a reminder that we need God's grace every day if we are to advance the kingdom. And he has promised to advance it so effectively that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So let's come to the table rejoicing uh, with um, faith that no ruins that face us in this coming week are any match for his grace. That's verse 11. And uh, let's commit to keep pressing into our upward call. That's verse 12. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this reminder, even though it uses old covenant language, that it is applicable to today. And I pray that as we come to this table, that we would indeed uh, rejoice that you are the one who works in us, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. And experiencing that grace, may we be committed to working diligently for the advancement of your kingdom. We ask for your blessing. Do set aside these elements. In Jesus' name, amen.